it is a symbolic situation because I was in the dark tunnels in the underground and then I got out to the sun. I got a message that uh, he got the life sentence. And I was like, oh my God, I smiled. I was really smiling. I was... Finally, some good luck. Finally, some good luck for, for people who really suffered a lot. I'm very excited for all the detainees. I'm happy for all the families that they, maybe they will have a sense of, 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 uh, of, uh, of a, a bit of relief. This could be the first step towards a more, uh, more wholesome uh, system of accountability towards the Syrian regime. It's a real recognition of this crime and the severity of this crime. But at the end, I know very well, it's not about the, the, you know, the verdict itself. It's, it's much more beyond that. This crime really contributes and uh, a lot for just uh, letting this file, you know, justice and accountability work on the table and to push and hoping to push for uh, more steps. Like that established a status that we can start from, you know, uh, in our advocacy, in the future accountability. And, and also feels good uh, to hear a verdict from, from outside the bars, you know, without handcuffs. To, to see the, the handcuffs on the right hands, finally. Anwar R has just been found guilty of crimes against humanity and will have to serve a life sentence in prison. The Higher Regional Court in Koblenz has reached its decision in the worldwide first criminal trial against former Syrian regime officials for crimes against humanity. After about 21 months and more than 100 trial days, the 13th of January was the big day, the climax of the entire trial. Of course, we already had the first decision in the trial a year ago, in February 2021, in the case against the co-defendant Iyad A. But now, we have the judgment in the case against the main defendant, Enwar R, former colonel in the Syrian General Intelligence Services, the man accused of having been the head of interrogation at Detention Center Branch 251, also known as the Al Khatib Branch. Anwar R is the highest ranking former regime official on trial in Europe for atrocity crimes committed in Syria. And so, when his verdict came, all eyes were on Koblenz. Our colleagues Pauline, Hannah and Fritz traveled there to report on this historic event. Hannah and Fritz are here as well. Hi both. Hi everyone. Hey. Could you talk us through your trip to Koblenz? Sure. So we arrived the day before. Hannah and Paulina from Berlin, and I came in from uh, from Paris. So I've just arrived in Koblenz. And uh, on my way to the hotel now to check in and wait for uh, Hannah and Paulina to arrive. <laughs> Here's Hannah. <laughs> How are you doing? Good, good. 
literally just uh, mentioning your name. <laughs> well, it took me six hours, but I am in Koblenz. The day of the verdict started very, very early. Good morning, everybody. It's the 13th of January, 2022, Judgment Day. It's uh, 4.45 in the morning. I just got up. And yeah, the doors of the court were scheduled to open at 8, but there were not that many seats available for the general public. So anyone who was really serious about getting a spot had to be there much, much earlier. And I heard from the earliest uh, arrivals, they, they came to the courtroom at like 3.30 in the morning. Walking to the courtroom right now it is pretty cold I'm curious to see how many people are already there waiting and uh, we'll join them in the line in a bit yeah there's already quite some people waiting in line here let's see where the line starts good morning good morning good morning hi dev how are you hi How's it going? Oh, I love being up this way. Yeah, you love it, yeah? <laughs> nice and cold. Yeah. It's not too much that it's cold. Okay, folks, so you arrived at the courtroom. Yeah, so like Hannah said, hours and hours before dawn, it was dark. And there was already a line when we got there around 5 a.m. So what kind of people were in that line? So we arrived and um, like Hannah said, there was, uh, it was a group of people that had been there um, since shortly past three. Um, you know, a, a mix of, of uh, activists interested in the case, uh, having followed the case, um, and definitely a group of, uh, of Syrians, um, including some that, uh, that are survivors uh, from the very crimes that were committed at, at Branch 251 um, and, you know, who wanted to make sure that they get a spot inside. And while we were waiting in line uh, for the doors to open and finally get inside and get get um, into the warmth, we spoke to some of the people waiting in line. Among them was Ahmad Helmi. Uh, I'm, I'm Ahmad Helmi. I'm a human rights defender. I'm Syrian human rights defender. And I'm also a survivor of three years in nine different detention facilities in Syria. For those of you listening, you might remember Ahmed from season three, episode five. Back then, we spoke to him about how, even abroad, it's becoming increasingly difficult to speak up against Bashar al-Assad. Why, why are you here? Actually, I wanted to, for the first time, to feel how, how it is to be in a court, but not behind the bars. Uh, and in a court that you are not expected to be beaten up or you're not expected to be... Uh, tortured. And how are you expecting to feel after the judgment? Actually, unless it's it's a non-guilty verdict, um, I already feel uh, that we have achieved something. Um, for me, it doesn't matter what the verdict is. Is it like 10 years, 20 uh, lifetime verdict? It doesn't matter because Anwar uh, R is only one person, and the 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 symbolism of the verdict is 
is in the fact that there is a court in a country that respects the law uh, saying that, that there is a systematic torture in Syria. We also ran into Nuran Agamian. You might remember her from way back in season one, episode eight. She's a survivor of Branch 251 herself. So my name is Nuran Algamian and I'm part of this trial. Um, so I've been arrested in 2012, end of May, and actually I met him like twice during that time while I was in Al-Khatib branch. Why are you here today again to, to, for the judgment? Okay, it's obviously it's, it's going to be a really big day and it, it means a lot to me to know uh, like uh, what call they will make eventually and uh, and to, to to face the criminal it's really something i cannot describe even like when i testified like the first uh, time here in Copeland's, it was really hard to make an eye contact with anwar and um, yeah Today you will see him again. I'm going to see him again. <laughs> And finally, before entering the courthouse, I had a chat with Hussein Khair, one of the joint plaintiffs, the civil parties that joined the case. We discussed his testimony in season one as well, in episode 17. Um, my name is uh, Hussein Khair. Uh, I'm a witness in this trial and also a plaintiff. Um, I he I'm here today to personally hear the verdict. Um, and the most importantly, um, the reasoning of this verdict, how the judges, how the court sees uh, uh, the context in, in, uh, in Syria, uh, how do they see the role of this individual in the bigger apparatus uh, who used to commit crimes against uh, the Syrians. And what are you expecting this this judgment will will make you feel afterwards? Actually, um, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, first of all, um, of course, it's it's very important to uh, um, to hear that uh, uh, the perpetrator uh, has been convicted, uh, especially as I said, uh, part of a bigger system, um, but also. Um, I feel it's just tiny step in, in this long journey of, of justice. We don't know what could come later. Um, I cannot say I'm, I would be happy. I cannot say I can uh, welcome it as it deserved because uh, 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 the higher rank uh, uh, criminals are still free and committing crimes and there are still uh, tens of thousands of Syrians still detained and being tortured every day. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very complex uh, feeling and expectations, yeah. Shortly past eight o'clock, it was finally time to go in, although it took almost two hours for everyone in line to go through the security check. And of course, all recording equipment had to be left behind at the door. Test, test. Hi everyone, this is Paulina. I'm outside the courtroom. It is nine o'clock. Um, Fritz and Hannah are inside. 
And I was waiting with them and originally also planned to go inside. Uh, I've been standing in line for three and a half hours, but there were so many people behind me that I decided to give up my spot. Um, so yeah, here I am. I'd say there's still about... I mean, it's really busy. I think there's like 50 people outside still. There's people holding banners, people holding photos of loved ones. Because this is a day that is very focused on a perpetrator and on one man. And in the hustle and bustle of all that culpability and the sentencing and the verdict, as some people pointed out, it's actually the victims that we shouldn't lose sight of. And so here they are, holding photos of their loved ones, signs, trying to make everyone remember what this is about, why we're here. Well, Paulina, you really painted a very powerful image of what it looked like to be there at the courtroom, um, to see all these people who, and a, a really important day for them. So I, I, I wish I was there and was able to experience that too. Fritz and Hanna, why don't you tell us what happened inside? So um, after you enter uh, the courthouse, um, there's a ton, ton of security checks. Um, and then you walk up this um, pretty impressive long sort of stairway to the upper floor. Um, and then on the left side of the hallway, um, you open the doors and you get into the courtroom from the back. And you kind of immediately look to the front and to the, to the back side of the, of the room which is where the elevated bench um, is, is um, where the judges sit, um, higher than, than the other parties. Um, and then behind the judges, there's this really sort of ceremonial, uh, sort of ceremonially looking uh, huge bookshelf that holds all these, um, these, these, these books, which I assume are, are books of you know, German laws and, and rules of procedure and, and kind of symbolically uh, standing, sitting behind the judges and, and governing all uh, all that they do. Uh, yeah, fun fact, this uh, courtroom actually used to be a library. Um, they actually changed it because they didn't have a large enough room for this trial. So I guess they kept at least some of the books back there. Um, so yeah, like you said, there's the judges in the front. And then on the left side, we have the two prosecutors and uh, two translators who simultaneously translate everything from German to Arabic for the case parties. So uh, someone like Anwar R himself can listen to the translation through headphones. And this time for the verdict, only uh, like exceptionally for the verdict, the two translators also translated from German to Arabic for the people in the public gallery. So everyone present in the courtroom could actually follow the verdict in Arabic through the loudspeakers. And then we have those on the left and then opposite them on the right side of the room, we have Anwar R with his personal translator, his uh, defense lawyers, and then in the center, facing the judges, we have the civil parties or joint plaintiffs and their lawyers. And right behind them, we have us, the public. Yeah, and so that's where that's where we were sitting um, and waiting for um, the judges to come in and announce the verdict. Um, the room was pretty was pretty packed. I mean, in relative terms, obviously due to COVID, um, it was it was not full capacity. Everybody was separated from each other by by sort of this tall glass um, window. Then Anwar R came came in through this uh, side door um, and had to walk across the room to to his uh, his seat. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I I saw him almost two years ago um, at the beginning of the trial, and it, it seems to me that you know his the way that he's walking and the way that he's sort of holding, yeah, his body, his physique is is a bit more frail. I, I have the feeling that he's 
um, yeah, really grown grown a bit older um, during the course of this trial. Um, he sat down, um, sort of rearranged his mask a bit, looked around uh, a little bit, but then really quickly just um, did what he's done for most of the trial, which is just um, sort of stared to the front and and uh, take some notes every now and then and just wait like everyone else for, for the judges to come in, um, which they then did. Um, and everybody got up from their seats um, and uh, and waited for the for the presiding judge Kerber to to read out um, the summary of of the judgment. I'm outside the courtroom in Koblenz. It's about 11 o'clock. Anwar R. has just been found guilty of crimes against humanity and will have to serve a life sentence in prison. There are dozens of camera crews, journalists, people on the phone, people being interviewed. It definitely feels like a like an important moment and it feels special to be so close to it. And I'm curious to hear what Fritz and Hannah will have to say later. I expect it'll take another couple of hours before the verdict is actually completely read out. Um, last time with EATA, it took about three and a half hours, and I expect it to take a bit longer today. So I'm going to try and talk to some people. This was the moment that Anwar R's guilty verdict started making headlines around the world. And inside the courtroom, while the verdict was being read out, Anwar R was as always stone-faced, like I, I was watching him and he was just like staring into space. I was really trying to see any kind of movement on his face, some kind of facial expression. I mean, he must be shocked by the fact that he'll be spending at least the next 15 years of his life in prison, but he didn't react at all. And then as soon as the first um, few sentences of the, of the verdict are read out, everyone's allowed to sit down. So he immediately started taking notes and I almost felt that He was holding on to his pen to, you know, kind of like distract himself and taking notes um, to distract himself from any kind of emotions that might be welling up inside of him. Um, but I did notice that when the first time the court took a break, he was taken outside the courtroom, which is quite unusual because he, he usually stays inside, especially when the breaks are very short. Um, maybe he did actually need a moment to himself to digest what had just happened. That's what happened inside the courtroom. Uh, outside, um, of course, it was different, um, less immediate. Um, how the um, how the verdict reached uh, the people that were waiting, and and Paulina was there, and she got a hold of a few people uh, to get their immediate uh, reaction. Uh, not least yours. Uh, your uh, she called you, Naya. Hello, Paulina. Hey, Naya. Hi there. Hi. Hey. Hey. How are you? I'm very happy, very happy at the moment. Yeah? I'm, yeah, it, 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 it is a beautiful morning. Uh, it's sunny. There's justice in the air. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, is today a good day? Yes, very um, much. Yeah, what do you think this will mean? Well, I think it, it, it brought some sense of justice to Syrian people, to people who really were, who really suffered from, from this regime, from, I don't know, it's like... It, 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 it really made me smile because with all the bad news that are uh, coming from uh, or that is coming from from the country I think that people are uh, like people in the regime or uh, or officials are really uh, held accountable so basically um, 
I'm very excited for all the detainees. I'm happy for all the families that they, maybe they will have a sense of 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 uh, of, uh, of a, a bit of relief that this could be the first step towards a more um, more wholesome uh, system of accountability towards the Syrian regime. So mm. let's see. How did you find out about the verdict? Well, I was waiting for it. I was in the underground and uh, and and it, it is a symbolic situation because I was in the dark tunnels in the underground and then I got out to the sun, which was really weird in, during the winter. So basically I got a message that uh, he got the life sentence and I was like, oh my God, I smiled. I was really smiling. I was, I don't know, it was a very interesting moment for me and just like finally some good luck finally some good luck for for people who really suffered a lot yeah well guys i was speechless i was speechless you know uh i couldn't believe it i didn't i didn't find the word and yani I was really happy because honestly, the the bad news that we are getting, you open Twitter, you open Facebook, you open like everywhere, it's 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 bad news all over. But at the end, there was a bit of like recognition of the what happened in Syria, the unfair reality that lived by and still lived by many many Syrians, convicting um, a face for the countless crime that all people in Syria feared for more than fifty years. It is something to celebrate. It is the beginning, of, of course. We always think it is the beginning. It's not enough, but it is the first step. I mean, I, I can I, I can't imagine uh, what that must uh, must have must have done to you to hear that news. But um, so b back to the outside of the courtroom, uh, Paulina then spoke to uh, Jumana Saif, uh, who works at the European Center for Constitutional and Human Rights in Berlin, or in short, ECCHR. Um, which of course has supported uh, a number of joint plaintiffs and witnesses uh, throughout the trial. Okay, Shumana, can I get your reaction to the verdict that just came in? I think it's okay, and I hope that uh, the survivors themselves they are satisfied with this uh, verdict. I think it's it's a good, it's important step. It's a real recognition of the, the the crimes committed in the detention facilities and in the Al-Khatib branch uh, as crimes against humanity. I hope that also this uh, step will, will be a strong basis for a future work. So more steps we need. It's not, it's, it's very important, but it's not enough also hope that the other European country will do the same and open more, uh, you know, the investigation and utilize the universal jurisdiction to push for justice for the Syrian. Does the verdict match your expectations or are you surprised or? No, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's match my expectation. I think it's, it's um, yeah, It's okay, but it's not. I'm, I'm really uh, looking to hear from the survivors themselves and to see, to discuss that. But at the end, I know very well it's it's not about the the you know the verdict itself. It's it's much more beyond that. This crime really contributes and uh, a lot for just uh, letting this file 
you know, justice and accountability work on the table and to push and hoping to push for uh, more steps. So we're standing outside the court right now. Are you a little bit sad not to be in the courtroom? Um, it's okay as my as the all the survivors they you know I'm supporting them and as my colleagues uh, from ECC HR are inside so and we are in contact somehow with uh, our colleagues so it's okay it's fine it's also it's important to tell the whole world about you know these crimes and uh, yeah. It's okay, fine. It's a, despite the very cold here. <laughs> it's okay. So is today a good day? Uh, for the survivor, yes. For the road of justice, for the Syrian, it's yes. I think it's a good day. Jimena's really emphasizing the impact this trial will have on future justice efforts for Syria. Yeah, that's exactly right. Jumana here is really uh, pointing towards the, the significance of, of what this uh, means for the joint plaintiffs, for the Syrian civil parties uh, that, that joined the case, one of whom you'll hear from next. Could you begin by telling me your name? Uh, I'm Jajob. We just heard the verdict. Um, what is your first reaction to it? نحن كثير عم نكون مبسوطين وهي لحظه كثير دقيقه على كل We're very happy. It's a very delicate moment for all Syrians here. That we have taken a step towards the justice that we're demanding. We hope that the verdict will be a life sentence and that he can never come out. Because a lot of people have been harmed by decisions made by him and also the government which he represents. ضحايا كثير بقرارات منه ومن الحكومه اللي موجود فيها. What does today mean to you? This day, like what I said, is a historic day because it has a meaning to all Syrians, not only this trial, but also the upcoming trials, which will start in the coming days. It's a turning point for us to hold all criminals to account and that no one escapes from judgments of the crimes that they committed. We also checked in with Nuran again, this time after the verdict. So is the court no longer in session at this point? No, it still was in session, but people went in and out and there were several breaks in between as well. This was during one of those breaks. How do you feel? I'm, I'm good, actually. Yeah, just I, I was describing how exactly I feel. So physically, I'm tired and sleepy and feeling cold and starving. Yeah, I think we all the same in this situation. Like it's it's yeah, it's it's tiring, you know, this kind of things. It's yeah, especially for us, like as a uh, survivors. Yeah. Do you know who you will? Uh, talk to and tell about this uh, first who who wasn't here like who will you tell my mother because uh, she were there with me mm-hmm. and my sister as well we mm-hmm. all were at the same place like um, at Al Khatib branch and but in the like <laughs> different times you know different periods so but my mother she was really an important part of this trial but she couldn't make it to come here so definitely I'm gonna call her and um, Yeah.
and of course Ahmad Helmi, who was outside a lot supporting other activists and talking to the press. He also had a moment to spare for us. What do you think of today's verdict? Um, actually, the, not the verdict itself who gave me this uh, amazing feeling, but what came after it, you know, the reasoning that the judge started to narrate why they made this verdict and how they say that torture in Syria is systematic, done by state, uh, with this and that evidence that gave us, like that established a status that we can start from, you know, uh, in our advocacy, in the future accountability. Um, so, and, and it also feels good uh, to hear a verdict from, from outside the bars, you know, without handcuffs, without being scared that you will go back to, to prison, to, to see the, the handcuffs on the right hands, finally. You're a survivor yourself. What do you think this day means for you? And what does it mean for other survivors? For me, I don't know if it's feel like it's, it feels for me that the challenge has started and there is too much to be done. But yet with this small yet important victory, uh, I feel I have more energy and more power to continue fighting for justice and accountability. Yeah, because last time we talked, you were quite sort of pessimistic about activism in general, that it was becoming more dangerous and it felt more pointless than it maybe did before. Do you think this has changed anything or is that being too optimistic? For me, it did, actually. Yeah, like after years, you need something to give you this uh, push of, of energy uh, because you start to lose hope, you start to lose uh, meaning. Uh, when you f like feel like you're running, you're fighting, you're uh, struggling every day and the crimes are still ongoing. It is still ongoing today, but at least we have achieved something. And for me, it's going to be, it's going to change uh, the reality. And I hope that it will change the reality for other uh, Syrian human rights defenders and activists. Okay, so lots of different reactions already. I'm wondering, though, what were your thoughts at this moment when you were there? So we're just leaving the courtroom. Um, I'm standing here with Hannah, and we're kind of, you know, starting to reflect a little bit on what happened today. What, like, what's your what's your first take, Hannah? Um, I guess what we expected happened: um, the lifelong sentence. What didn't happen was the special severity of guilt, and. Um, yeah, it's taking much longer than expected. Uh, I actually saw several people dozing off. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and I've heard all these testimonies before, so I'm kind of like, oh, okay, this is nothing new to me. But then, of course, sometimes, you know, you just take a moment and you remember, wow, these are actually pretty horrible stories and someone actually, like, went through all that and you shouldn't be there, like, like being like, oh, when is this over? You should, like, you know, look at, like, reflect and, like, remember all those people. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's been interesting. But I think the most interesting thing is, the, all the people that are here, all the activists, all, like from all, all over Germany and even other countries. So, yeah. I think that's yeah, it was a long line this morning, uh, and it was kind of like a, a, a hassle to get inside. But um, you know, what what stuck with me is kind of the I think very sensitive way that the presiding judge is 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 doing this, um, and I think she's really 
paying attention to every uh, party also in in the courtroom, including the accused, um, but definitely to the to the civil parties, to the joint plaintiffs, going through the accounts uh, again and, and giving giving them their moment. Also, what stuck with me was I think she used a very interesting um, characterization and sort of like a an answer to our question from an earlier episode, Anwar, who I think she called him a eager, intelligent, reliable technocrat, right? And what I also thought it was interesting, I remembered that she said exactly the same thing with the first verdict, uh, was that she started by saying that it is not the Assad regime here on uh, trial, it is Anwar R. So, Which is this fine balance, because at the same time, she, she then goes into the history of, um, of, of how we got to this point, um, the state crimes that were already at least being prepared, if not committed, before 2011, and how Assad used the, the intelligence services to, to violently suppress and, and, and annihilate um, uh, dissent. And so it's this f interestingly fine balance that, that this court is, is, is walking by pointing that out, what you're saying, Assad and, and his inner circle is not on trial here. And at the same time, um, they're definitely m making it known and clear um, in, in which state crime context the, the crimes that Anwar R is now convicted for were, were committed, right? Yeah, and um, I, I feel like whenever, she, or this time and the last time she said that, it's It's kind of like the like, okay, you're saying that, but I mean, we all kind of feel differently about it, and and it has to, and it has to be about the crimes of the Assad regime because of the because the only way that we can even put someone like Anwar R on trial in Germany is is if it uh, happens if his crimes are related to crimes against humanity, and the crimes against humanity have to be related to a widespread and systematic attack. So it is not about individual crimes. Yes, it is. Uh, the verdict has to be about his individual crimes, but um, the trial is about the crimes of the Assad regime, and I think that's something that um, she might want to uh, deny, but uh, it's always in the room. <laughs> no, I agree, and, and legally speaking, that is that is that is totally that is totally right. The, the crimes against humanity part of the accusations can only be proven if the state crimes are literally proven in this very trial as well. So there you go. Uh, yeah, so we're. Um, I think we have to go back inside for probably another hour. It's <laughs> worth uh, standing outside in the cold or sitting inside in the cold. So By now we've had a few days to let the verdict sink in, to read and think about it. Do any of you have any new thoughts? I mean, from my perspective, um, one, one, one thing that I've been asked a couple of times since returning from Koblenz um, is, you know, what, what, what do you think about the, the judgment? Do you, do you think it's fair? And um, I want to say it's fair. Um, and that also has to do with um, this one question that I really, when I went to Koblenz, it was for me, sort of the core question, how the court was going was gonna to answer it. And that was what we were describing in, in earlier episodes, the question whether the judges would find the particular severity of guilt, um, which they didn't. Um, we heard that right in the beginning of, of the announcement of the verdict. And um, they later uh, you know, explained why they didn't... Uh, um, You know, describe Anwar R's guilt as particularly severe, 
um, which would have meant that he couldn't ask for uh, release on parole after 15 years, but only after about 20 uh, years or more. And that is, you know, in, in summary, is um, that the court did, uh, you know, put to his advantage, to Anwar Ar's advantage, that he, well, he did defect from the regime. And he has, again, stated that he, you know, he clearly doesn't agree with, with it and with what he calls the crimes that, that they started committing. Clearly, there's a lot of gray zones and um, the reasons for his defection and all that we d we've discussed it in the podcast are not clear. But the court did, um, did you know, uh, mention that that was to his advantage and that including in, his, in, in the two moments during the trial that he, um, that he spoke, uh, that he did, in fact, confirm and admit to some of the, the crimes that he was accused of. So that's why he did not get that particular severity of guilt element. And I, and I think in the, in, the, in, the, in the larger scheme of things, I think that's fair. I don't know, I don't know what, you, uh, what you guys think. Yeah, uh, Fritz, you know, this was something I was thinking about when I first heard the verdict was, um, or at least one thing that was on my mind was for us, for me, at least I was, I was really excited about the verdict. I was really happy, but I kept wondering, you know, what does Enwar R, how does this square with Enwar R's perception of himself as the person who was doing everything he can to protect people and to save people from his position? Um, it just that was going through my mind. How does he square this vision of himself with the way that this courtroom, this place where justice is supposed to take place, where all the evidence is presented in front of him and still his vision of himself doesn't isn't the one that everyone else agrees with. So I imagine that must have been kind of weird for him to recognize that his vision of himself is not perceived as reality by many people or by most people, it seems. Um, but I I actually heard about the verdict right when I woke up. It was the first thing that I saw when I woke up. I got I had a million text messages and all the news notifications. So it was a really good way to wake up. It was a really exciting day. And I think I had that initial excitement, but sort of what was going through my mind was what what next? Um, how can this how is this trial going to impact future trials? What does this mean for uh, Syria? I think what was going through my mind was this big thing happened, and I'm really excited to hear what people have to say and what people anticipate this will mean moving forward. Well, there is one person here who's been to almost every single session of the trial. So, Hannah, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. Well, as someone who's watched the trial for almost 100 days, I have to admit that I've started seeing quite a lot of flaws in it, um, which doesn't mean that I don't really respect and understand the meaning it has for survivors and for Syrians in general. Um, I think that was underlined again by the fact that so many people were outside and inside the courtroom and so many people got up early to really be there. And um, that trial, yeah, that was a very important step for many people and especially also to just record, you know, what's been happening in Syria for for history, for all history, um, and to have that acknowledged by a court. So that being said, I just want to talk again about those technicalities that, that have gone wrong. And technicalities sounds like trivial stuff, but they were actually quite big issues. I mean, remember the whole language problem, the fact that non-German speakers had very little access to the trial, the fact that it wasn't recorded, even though it's such a historical uh, trial that could be very important for future generations. And, you know, in general, that outreach problem. I actually talked to Amina Sawan from the Syria campaign this morning, and she said that she, as a Syrian, felt excluded from the trial, that it was, it felt like a trial by Germans for Germans. 
and uh, this is the whole you know contradiction that universal jurisdiction is supposed to be international that's why a german court can even prosecute someone from syria but then we've seen it being executed in a not really international way at all and another um, aspect of that was the the problem of witness protection so witnesses who were in court and they realized that what they're going to say might be a danger to their family still living in Syria and they didn't realize that they would have to testify anyway. So I think those flaws are really important to to keep in mind for, for the future. But also there's an even deeper lying problem, which I started to call the defector's dilemma, you know, so the fact that the regime is still in place and only those who have turned their backs to it can be prosecuted and put in court. I'm not saying that a person becomes innocent just because of defecting and uh, people like Anwar R really still played their part and in his case even a big part in the regime's crimes but it just makes you wonder what the purpose of justice is like how does justice work um, obviously it's there for victims and survivors but in a political context it should also somehow be directed towards the future you know and if you think about it in a transitional justice Uh, approach. It's important that justice creates a basis for a society to overcome a conflict and to live together again in the future and uh, to rebuild. And that's something that I'm not sure has been represented well in this trial. And, and this has really left many questions in my mind about how and whether uh, these kinds of trials from afar can actually provide a comprehensive type of justice. With the end of the trial, we've also reached the end of our podcast. We want to take a moment here to thank all of our listeners for their continued interest in our podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure to bring the episodes to you. I've learned so much through exploring the intricacies of the trial, the historic and social context around it, and through meeting and talking to so many Syrians on this issue. And I hope that everything we've shared through the podcast has been beneficial and educational for many as well. Uh, thank you all so much for your comments and for your feedback, the critiques, and the kind words you've shared with us over the past 21 months. We want to thank everyone that has somehow participated in our podcast, the many guests and sources without which we could have never told the stories we brought to you. Thank you all so much for sharing your expertise, insights, and stories with us. And on a personal note, a big thanks to the podcast team for embracing me as the newest member for the second Arabic and third English seasons. I was lucky to be involved in such an important and needed matter, justice. When this podcast started almost two years ago, I would have never imagined that it would become such a great project. I'm really proud of my colleagues who've made it all possible. Pauline, Salim, Hannah, Noor, and Naya, Working with you has been really an amazing experience. I think the special skill sets and insights and approaches to our difficult and complex topic that every single one of you brought to the team and the mix of all of that, that's reflected in each of the episodes and that's shaped our podcast into what it became and, and what it is now. So the compliments that we've received along the way, they're all for you. And a special thanks to those behind the scenes like Farah and Hadi who helped us with communications and the website. 
and of course to Laurens and Martin for their early and continuous support and advice on strategic and technical questions. Now, while there won't be any new episodes of this podcast coming your way, the ones we've broadcasted will remain online. And the same goes for our Twitter and Instagram channels. So feel free to contact us there and, and be in touch. Also, our website will, of course, stay live. You can find the text transcripts of all the episodes there. The address is branch251podcast.com. We're planning to publish all of these text transcripts of all the episodes in English and in Arabic in a curated form sometime later this year. And there are some exciting plans in the pipeline with new podcast ideas. There are so many trials like the one in Koblenz that's just finished. And it's kind of like, you know, after the trial is before the trial because there are many that are either already happening or about to start, like the one in uh, Frankfurt against Allah M that we just discussed uh, a second ago. And there are some that are slated to begin in the near future. And there are so many stories to tell around them and so much information to share. So you will hear again from us soon. Branch 251 is a 75-podcast production. Today's final episode was hosted by Naya Skaaf and Noor Hamade. Fritz Streif, Hannah El-Hitami and myself, Baline Peek, went to Koblenz to attend the announcement of the court's judgment. We also wrote and produced this episode with editorial help from Naya Skaaf and Noor Hamade. I did the sound and editing. We want to thank everyone who spoke to us in Koblenz and everyone who has spoken to us throughout the production of this podcast. There wouldn't have been a podcast without your stories, expertise and insight. We also couldn't have made our podcast without financial support. We want to thank all our individual donors from the early months of the project, everyone that participated in the crowdfunding campaign and the institutional support from Föderfonds Demokratie, Umam Documentation and Research, Medico and IFAST Civic Funding Programme. If you can't get enough of our podcast, do visit the website, branch251podcast.com. Here you'll find an archive of all our episodes with their transcripts. Thank you for listening. <laughs>